Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm your host, Davey Blackburn, and joining me, Aubrey Sampson, our co-host. Hey, Davey, how you doing? Aubrey, I'm doing fantastic, and it's because we got to spend the entire weekend together at a team retreat, aligning ourselves, getting clarity around our mission and what we're trying to do as an organization. How fun was we that? We have some vision. We have some forward thing. It was so fun. Now, I have some FOMO because I <laughs> joined in remotely from Chicago. Yes, you did. FOMO and I learned a new one, FOBOL. Just fear of being left out. Well, I didn't. Fobula. No, I don't think yeah. I've ever heard that one. That's... So I had both of those, FOMA and FOBLA. Um, <laughs> like but that. still, it was amazing. Uh, and uh, it, it was just fun to see what God is up to with nothing is wasted. It was it was awesome because we were we had you on a massive TV screen. <laughs> and you Where were, I belong. Your audio was coming over our surround sound. And so it was like you Stop were it. filling the room. It was really... <laughs> Really cool. The voice of God. And was every once in a while, we would see Kevin walking in the background. <laughs> right? Or one of my kids like, Mom, Mom, can I have some <laughs> breakfast? It was awesome. <laughs> hey, speaking of Kevin, you and yes. Kevin just celebrated 20 years of marriage. We just celebrated 20 years of marriage. Isn't that amazing? We like to tell people we are child brides, but really we're just old. I am blown away day. by that. 20 years. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. A- it does feel like something worth being congratulated yeah, on it because is. 20 years of marriage Absolutely. is no joke. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, we're learning in this marriage series that marriage can be difficult. There's a lot right. of, uh, there's a lot of, you know, moving components in the whole ordeal. And, yep. and especially if you, I mean, which everybody's going to deal with some kind of crisis in their life, probably yeah. of one form or fashion. And, and, and so uh, trying to figure out how to uh, work through all that as a married couple is tough. You guys have definitely gone through your fair share of different, uh, you know, trials in your, in your life and in your marriage. And, but it's just so encouraging to see the two of you and how the Lord has continued to meld your relationship together. You've grown even, you know, a deeper relationship with the Lord, but also with each other and just, man, so cool. So I'm so proud of you guys. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. We feel proud of ourselves and we do (laughs) feel grateful. God has been kind to us. It's so and, cool. And um, it is really by the grace of God that we're here 20 years later and actually love each other more than we ever did. So, And that is the hope that everybody needs to have, yeah. that that is actually possible, it right? It is possible. That's so yeah. cool. That's so cool. Well, this is the second week of our marriage series, speaking of, and we've got an interview with Nicole Zasowski. Nicole Zasowski. She's actually our counselor for this series, but she's not going to counsel herself. So she won't be at the that end of be, this spot, right? That would be kind of cool if we brought her back on to kind of commentate and counsel her Ooh, own Oh, that might be That'd an be, interesting bonus episode. That would be like the, it would almost be like the movie Inception. I was just thinking you know? that. It was Inception. Where you're, <laughs> where you're kind of, yes. man, that would be like the Nothing Is Wasted podcast version of Inception. Kind of like it. would be awesome. Let's, let's uh, put that in the you know back of our minds and consider it at some point. But she, <laughs> um, yeah, so she's going to be the counseling spot for the rest right. of the marriage series, which by the way, is not just a series for married people. That's right. This is a series for anyone who is around someone who's married mm-hmm. or who has been married and is now divorced, is a widow, or is mm-hmm. thinking about marriage in the future. That's right. Um, this is for you. Because marriages affect all of us, no yep. matter where we sit, no matter what season of life we're in, marriage affects all of us. And so this is helpful 
uh, for you. And some of these stories are also very hopeful as well. And so that's what we want to make sure that we impart to you. But one of the things that Nicole really focuses on in her story, as as you're going to hear it, is some of the transitions that surrounded their life and how that affected their marriage. And, you know, I know personally, I've gone through a lot of different transitions and seen how those play out and affect uh, my marriage. I'm sure you have as well, Aubrey. Oh, I mean, (laughs) I feel like, you know, of course, in life, you have different transitions, things like changing jobs or having kids or whatever. I would say for us in the year 2015, it was like all the transitions at once. We we had been uh, pastoring at a church for a long time and we were leaving that church to plant our own church. Mm. We um, lost my cousin Cameron, who I've talked about Mm. before on the podcast. Our son was recovering from spinal cord surgery and had some care going on. And then I got really sick. Mm. That was the year I was diagnosed with a chronic illness. And so it was like transition, trauma, transition, trauma all at once. And it. Honestly, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, Davey. It threatened to destroy our marriage mm. that year. In fact, as as Kevin and I were celebrating our 20th um, just a couple weeks ago, we were looking back on 2015 going, praise the Lord wow. that we made it through that. Because wow. there were days when we looked at each other and said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Wow. You know? And, um, you know, we learned a lot that year. We we. Obviously, I mean, I shouldn't say obviously, we chose to go to marriage counseling because we didn't want to lose our marriage. Yeah. Um, that felt like a horrible, horrible option for us. Mm-hmm. So we um, had a great counselor that we partnered with. And ultimately for us, everyone's story is different. But ultimately for us, we realized that we had not put a lot of uh, deposits into our marriage emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. Mm. And so when life called upon us to withdraw from our marriage, there was nothing to draw from. We were bankrupting our relationship. And so for us, it was a matter of a lot of healing, obviously, and a lot of just pouring back into each other Mm. so that when life got hard again, and it will get hard again, there's enough in the bank that we can withdraw from without feeling like we're so depleted. That's so good. Um, And then I would say the other thing for us, Kevin and I are both passionate people. He's a seven, I'm a four. (laughs) And um, we kind of realized that the way we had conflict was not godly. Mm. and was not honoring one another. And so um, ultimately, it became less about what we were even fighting about and more about the way that we began to fight. Right. So let's honor each other in the middle of our conflict rather yeah. than escalating and, yeah. and criticizing. And so learning some of those skills um, yeah. just to respect and love one another in the middle of some really hard stuff, yeah. that changed the dynamic. I, too. I, I love what you said right there, that it becomes more about the way that we yes. handle conflict rather than the actual thing that we're fighting over. And I feel right. like that that's a key component should be to every marriage, to every Absolutely. healthy marriage, Absolutely. you know, because really at the end of the day, if we can flip the perspective and remember that, you know, the other person, our partner is not our enemy, right? Yes. If we can help, if we can begin to understand that we are partners together against a common enemy, right? And yes, that's right. spiritually, obviously there is a very real enemy that, you know, is at work. But, but if we think about even just from like a, a, you know, a smaller perspective in the standpoint of like this problem that we're encountering is our common enemy. This is our enemy. We are not the enemy. This thing outside of us is. So let's together figure out what this thing outside of us is that we need to tackle or that we need to fight against. And, um, and I think that's, 
I think that's so key uh, because conflict can be diffused pretty quickly if you if you have conflict in the right way. Yeah, that's right. You know? Now, what yeah. about you, Davey? I, I hope this is not too insensitive to say, but you have now been married twice. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And um, I wonder about transitions in your life and trauma in your marriages. Yeah, we've definitely, um, I've experienced transitions in, in both marriages, um, you know, outside of the, the major transitions there are of like getting married and losing Amanda and then getting remarried. Those are obviously major transitions, but right. even within those, there were some what we considered major transitions, you know, I mean, Amanda and I left everything in South Carolina to move to Indianapolis to start a church. That was huge. huge. Uh, Christy and I left that church to start this ministry. That was huge. Huge. And one of the things I learned is just from a personality standpoint, what I tend to do in major transitions is, um, Enneagram language, I'm a three. So if there's a challenge in front of me, I buckle down and I go and tackle that challenge. And I tend to overwork. I tend to become a workaholic. Uh, that's kind of the superpower and the vice of a three yeah. that they will accomplish it, but to, there will, there'll be some, uh, some damage if they're not careful gotcha. about that gotcha. and some collateral damage on that. And so for me, I would tend to, even though I can be an external processor, I would tend to, in these transitions, begin to internally process everything, hmm. figure out everything in my own head before I articulated yeah. it out loud. And in two situations, both of these major transitions both with Amanda and with Christy, I, f- I found myself slipping into that. And so what I was doing mm-hmm. is kind of like leaving them behind on my, gotcha. my process. Because you're already ahead I was in already your head. there solving <laughs> right. the problem, kind of thinking that I needed to be like the hero in that. Like, well, let me solve this problem for, her, for us. And both had expressed to me, no, I want to solve the problem with you. I want in, I want to be partner. a part of this. Let's do this I'm together. Partner, exactly. Yeah. And so I was thinking wow. I was being a loving husband by sparing them from the the stress of the problem right. solving of that or, or or navigating that transition when when in fact I was just kind of beginning to bankrupt my relationship in both those sides of things. Wow. And so um, I think that transitioning with Christy was a lot, uh, I, I did a lot better because I had learned that lesson with Amanda. Yeah. Um, but it was, I mean, I, I noticed that, I noticed that. I slip into that when it comes to transitions for sure. It's good to be so, mindful of though. Cause now at yeah. least you know, Oh wait, I'm doing that thing again. Let right. me bring Christy into the process. Right. And I think what we're going to find out in this interview is that it's really important to have those conversations. It's really important yeah. to talk and, 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 and be up to speed with each other in communication when we're going through this stuff. And you have to almost double down on that when it comes That's to transitions. Right. Keep short accounts during seasons Big of time. transition. Big time. Let's go ahead and listen to this conversation with Nicole. Cole Zazowski, where she's going to talk about transitions and communication and some of the other things that make marriage beautiful. Nicole, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This is fun. Well, I'm really excited about the listener hearing your story for a couple of reasons. One, you have a you have a, a story that is very, is, there's a lot of insight that you've pulled from it, but also because you're a marriage and family therapist. And so it's always a joy and a treat to talk to somebody who has studied all the things and then experienced all the things and they can overlay <laughs> those things. <laughs> uh. Yes. Yes. I describe uh, my book from lost to found as um me discovering for myself what I knew to be true for my clients. Wow. So I, I really resonate with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting how you can, you can see stuff on paper, you can get cognitive 
knowledge about it, but the real classroom is, is the classroom of experience and mm-hmm. where God leads you. So Amen. I'm excited to, to dive into this, but first, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family, um, what you guys do, uh, where you live, just give us a little bit of context. Absolutely. Um, I am married to a wonderful man named Jimmy and we live in Rowayton, Connecticut. Um, we actually just moved a few weeks ago. So I think this is the first time I've, I've shared that on a podcast, (laughs) (laughs) my new town. Um, but it's a tiny little beach town, um, just outside New York city. So we kind of have this juxtaposition of, of worlds. We have the access to the very urban setting of New York city. And then this very quaint little beach town in Connecticut. Um, so it's a wonderful place to live. We live here with our two boys, um, which we are graced to have. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into, uh, our story a little bit later, but, um, I think all babies are miracles. I know they are, but I just happen to have a story that lets me know how much. Mm. Um, and so we also have five, um, angel babies up in heaven, uh, that we lost to miscarriage. So that's been a major part of our story as well. Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, I work as a marriage and family therapist that mostly includes a private practice here in Connecticut. And I travel and speak and lead women's retreats and different seminars around the country related to that as well. Wow. Wow. That you guys like live in, like what you said, the perfect context where you get this access to this really fun, bustling, big city. Although, you know, obviously during COVID stuff over this past year, things have been a little bit dicey from yes. visiting into the, I'm sure. But, and then this beach town, I mean, what a, what a perfect scenario to, to live in. It's pretty fun. It's pretty oh. fun to be in two different worlds very quickly. And, but yeah, I've, we've lived here about nine years wow. and this is the longest I've ever gone without going into New York city. So wow. I miss it. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine. Well, uh, part of your story is you guys haven't always lived there. You uh, had kind of a cross-country move. And Mm -hmm. within all of that, uh, there were some things that uh, that happened that really, uh, I guess, as we referenced earlier, deepened your experience, taking some of these things from a a head knowledge to to really a heart level um, understanding. And so why don't you take us back and kind of walk us along the progression of your of your story and um, we'll talk about what God has, has shown you through all of this. Yeah. So um, where I began the book was when we were living in California. And I jokingly still call Pasadena, California, the land of milk and honey. I just think <laughs> it's a beautiful, wonderful agree, place. <laughs> um, and we, I describe our life there as very comfortable. Yeah. Um, and I mean two things by that. Uh, one, it was just a wonderful place to live. Um, and we were in a really sweet season being newlyweds and starting our careers and um, just a really uh, sweet season mm-hmm. together. And then the other side of that, though, is comfort also meant self-reliance mm-hmm. for me. Um, I was very much in this place of I had a close relationship with God and I, I had my entire life. But unknowingly, um, I was looking at him like the power source to my own plans. Wow. Um, I had propped up my faith with 
all these supports like my own performance, my own achievements, my reputation, pleasing other people, perfectionism. And I didn't realize it was very sneaky because it was quote unquote working for me. Um, It seemed to be granting me the things that I wanted. Um, And then it wasn't until I confronted my own season of pain and loss uh, that started with an unwanted on my part move across the country um, where I began to slowly lose those touch points of security. Wow. Um, and certainly our, our journey was characterized by tangible loss, um, you know, loss of our community, loss of what was most familiar. I had to start over yeah. with my practice and and there was a lot of practical, tangible loss But in what I now recognize to be God's graciousness to me, I also lost those supports to my faith that had promised way more than they could deliver. Yeah. Wow. You know, one of the things we say often is that we try to help people through their trials, their trauma, their transitions, your story kind of, you know, the unfolding of it, the unfolding of the Mm -hmm. pain and suffering begins with a major transition. And, you know, you just referenced that it was something that you did not want you know, so I'm assuming it was maybe a, a job change of your husband or yes, okay. it was my husband works for Disney and ESPN. Oh, wow. And so it was an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity. And I was happy to support him. Obviously, yeah. he didn't force me to go, but it was very much a uh um I want to say sacrifice, but that would be giving myself too much credit because mm. <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't have a very sacrificial heart. Um, but I knew it was the right thing. And I had a feeling that God, while we were technically moving for Jimmy's job, um, I had a feeling that God had something for me spiritually and emotionally wow. in that. Did you have, I mean, was there a season there where you guys, there, there was maybe some some tension between you and him or some, some bitterness that began to creep up in your heart? Or was it more like you, you immediately recognized, man, I don't really want this and kind of went through the process of, of grieving those things in a healthy way. Talk about kind of the climate of, you know, your relationship, your marriage, your heart during that transition. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. I think At first, I just said, okay, um, I am, uh, one of my nicknames is (laughs) Seabiscuit. I just, I can grind and grind and make it happen. And um, I am a very hard worker and I thought, okay, I'll just start over. I will, I will pick up that performance again. Mm. I will win people over. I will be as perfect as I can be and I'll just outwork everybody else to recreate this life that I had back in California. Um, And I will be so proud of myself for being the sacrificial (laughs) wife. Um, I I was sort of like this martyr. Uh, (laughs) And then it didn't work. Mm. Then people were not impressed with me. Then my job search and the ways in which we were trying to grow our family just led to nothing but disappointment and grief. And then I became resentful. Um, Jimmy was a saint through that. Um, he, he was extremely supportive and understanding and not that either of us were perfect, but um, I would say the climate of our marriage 
um, that we later realized was, and I'll, I'll go back to our wedding. So before the book even began, I think unknowingly when I got married, I thought marriage would be capital I capital T it, Mm. um, like the thing that would make me not want for anything else right. again. Yeah. I mean, even in Christian culture, we grow up kind of thinking, I know that was yeah. very much a predominant thought, you know, in my heart and a lot of the people surrounding me and going to conference Christian conferences and you're like, okay, let's just get to the finish line of marriage, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And it does feel like a finish line. Yeah. And that, and that was a subliminal message. I think I had been fed um, and bought into right. and, you know, so what that looks like was I thought, oh, you know, love from somebody else that I love will make up for all the ways it's hard to love myself. Mm. Um, and I thought that love from Jimmy would heal what someone else or something else in my past broke. Mm. Um, and I thought, okay. I, I basically made him responsible for fixing the wounds um, that I had carried when I walked down the aisle. And I think on some level he had done the same. Um, and so the gift, one of the gifts that the pain we encountered together gave us, um, both adjusting to our new home from different positions yeah. and then ultimately the infertility and miscarriages yeah. was that we quickly realized that the love that we shared between us while it was good and while it was strong, it was not going to be enough to sustain us. That um, the sweetness of our marriage was not so much about the love between the two of us, but the way that um, our life together and our particular brand of for better or for worse Mm. ushered us into the love of Christ. Wow. Um, and we quickly realized that marriage is a people growing machine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and there's a lot of beauty and connection and strength between the two of us in our relationship. But what makes us strong is both of us depending on Christ for our identity and sense of safety, and then sharing that out of strength with one another. Wow. That what you just said is, is laced. And so I, I know mm. I want to dive into that a little bit, sure. because, um, but you're right. This, you know, mar- I have, there was an old, a pastor I heard one time say that, um, one of God's primary means of sanctification in your life would be your marriage. Mm-hmm. It's and true. It becomes this vehicle <laughs> that God uses to grow you more into the character and nature of Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. and it is so true. I love what you're saying right there where, you know, we, we will become disillusioned and disappointed if we, uh, f- if we prop up our spouse to be the end all be all for us and to be able to solve every problem for us and cure every ail. And, and, um, there's only one that can do that. You know, there is the one, exactly. Right? <laughs> you know, there's, there's right. the one and that's Jesus. And so, right. um, and you guys, as you guys, you know, I want to, I want to unpack a little bit what you're saying, but first I want to kind of dive even deeper into your story because this transition was not the only thing that really helped you begin to understand this. In fact, there was some even deeper pain that you guys walked through together. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. So when we, we were pretty young when we got married. And so we had a season where we just wanted to focus on being married and still kind of growing in our careers and establishing ourselves there. And obviously the transition 
across the country, you know, we wanted to build our community and just get established a little bit more. And then we started wanting to grow our family. Um, and so we were pretty fairly young when we decided to do that. I got pregnant really quickly. Um, my mom never had any miscarriages or any red flags in, in that process. And so I anticipated that it would be very much the same for me. Um, and I just went in blindsided, um, and with our first miscarriage, um, not that anybody anticipates that necessarily, but I was absolutely shocked and devastated. Um, and you know, but everyone tells you, you know, it's common, it's normal. I talk about that in my book, just because something's common doesn't make it normal. And I think, grieving, you know, is a, is a comment on the fact that this is not what God intended. Um, he is not the author of our suffering and this pain. Um, it's just a reminder that we are not yet home, um, in this life. And so, um, we, you know, my doctor at that point wasn't concerned, um, because it does happen frequently. Yeah. Um, and so the first chance I could get pregnant again, uh, we did. And, um, then I miscarried again. Mm. Um, and then all this fear started to flood like two in a row. Now it's a pattern. Mm. What is going on? And so my doctor said, you know, I still don't think there's anything wrong, but why don't you get a, a scan or a workup and just make sure there's nothing there. And what we learned was that on my husband's side, there's a genetic, um, what's called a balanced translocation, um, which essentially means um, that when I get pregnant, there's like a fifth, approximately a 50% chance that the baby will make it um, past eight weeks or nine weeks in in utero. Um, And so that... I would say that really was a a major point in our journey because as the girl who's nicknamed Seabiscuit (laughs) and is used to being able to outwork and outperform um, and control her way to a place of contentment and peace and joy, um, I confronted something I could not change there are no answers for a genetic translocation like that. Mm. Um, And I, but that was a really healthy place for me to get to. um, And and an understanding for me to arrive at is that when we confront the thing we cannot change, Mm. there's an invitation for it to change us. Wow. Um, Wow. And I, I began to accept that invitation, not perfectly and slowly, mm-hmm. um, but I began to invite God into helping me trust his goodness over my own and understanding that the gifts in this life, even the best gifts, you know, things that are not wrong by any means to long for, like a child or a relationship or yeah. whatever that is. Um, that our hope is not 
in the gift itself, but in the giver. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the gifts in this life are gifts of pure grace and not and a result of God's goodness and not, not my own goodness and grit. Yeah. Um, whereas before I think I viewed gifts as not gifts yeah. as entitlements and yeah. rewards because rewards, I had done yeah. everything right. 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 Wow. Gives you a whole new understanding of the concept of grace of gifts, yes. of receiving something yes. that we don't deserve. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and kind of flips your perspective on what we, what, what really we do deserve. Mm-hmm. I, I can imagine, you know, I, I'm always hesitant to do this cause I don't want to project anything that maybe is there, but I would be curious if within, within that or projecting that it wasn't there, um, as you're receiving that news and, mm-hmm. and you and your husband are kind of getting these tests back, I, I would, I would surmise there'd be some sense of, of shame in that equation, maybe from his part, uh, potentially some blame that creeps up in, you know, both of your hearts. Can you talk to me a little bit about what the aftermath of receiving that news and now facing, you know, before you get to the place of going, Oh, I recognize this is an invitation to change me right. As you're staring this situation in the face, what was your, what was your heart doing? What, what was happening there? And, and how was the interaction between you and your husband? Yeah. Um, so many different reactions. (laughs) I felt protective of him because I know how I would have felt if the diagnosis was on my side. Obviously I know it, I knew it wasn't his fault. Um, I, you know, what's funny about this is so the model of therapy that I use is called restoration therapy. Mm. And one of the um, ideas of that is that we all have stories that shape the kind of way, the kind of pain we feel mm. when we're in a painful situation and also shape the kind of things we do to protect ourselves or react yeah. when we feel those pain, those pain buttons. And so what's funny is the pain that he and I both felt were very much our typical pain cycle pain, even though it didn't necessarily, it wouldn't have been what you would have guessed. Mm. So for him, one of his buttons is feeling powerless and out of control. Mm. Um, That makes more sense because I think he felt like this is my thing. I wish it were my body Mm. that would then have to be going through all this. And it's happening to my wife. Not only can I not control the diagnosis or change it, I can't control the pain that she feels in the process of it and I can't fix it. Mm. Um, So that was very much salt in that wound for him. Absolutely. My, probably my number one wound is not good enough. Mm. Um, And that's where people kind of like, huh, how come you felt that when the diagnosis wasn't on your side? Mm. Um, and this is where pain is just, our pain cycles are so tenacious yeah. is it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. Yeah, that's good. But that's the way true. that, the way that it landed on me was not so much medical, but more global, like, oh, this is happening because I wouldn't be a good enough mom. Mm. Um, and oh, I wow. just had such a shaming message to myself of, or maybe there was, you know, shame is tenacious about finding fault within. And yeah. so 
it will find logic in the unlogical, <laughs> illogical. Yeah. Um, and so I, I came up with, oh, maybe it was because God was unhappy with me for something in the past that this was happening. And it's my character or personhood or the future of my motherhood that's not good enough. Wow. Um, and so that's, we were both pretty, pretty low yeah. um, in that place. I would say that's where we both went most frequently. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the one blame thing I think that snuck in with me, it wasn't my typical reaction, but I think I felt very entitled when it came to making decisions about how we were going to proceed fertility wise. Yeah. Um, I think I felt entitled to get my way um, because, you know, it was his diagnosis. And again, I'm not actually believing what I'm saying as I'm talking to you, right, but right. in in that moment of pain, absolutely, it was like, well, I've been ripped off. So now I get to decide how this is going to yeah, go. Yeah. Um, and no, it's a, it, the only way it would work if it was an us decision and we win and lose together. And um, we both felt really good about proceeding. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Well, and I think what's so, what's so f interesting is that we don't, <clears throat> we don't like to admit those like carnal places of our heart, the, re the immediate yeah. reactions inside of our heart. I'm the same way. I'm like, man, I don't want people to see the ugliness <laughs> that, I, that I actually felt in that moment. But it's, it's so important, I think, for us to recognize those things, mm -hmm. to be able to acknowledge, man, I just had a really ugly thought right there. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and even when you know, like you have these thoughts, like you have these thoughts, you know, cognitively, they're not true. It's like, mm -hmm. I know that I, I can even apply a certain scripture to this, to right. this falsehood. And, and I know that it's, but for some reason I'm feeling this. And often I wonder if, you know, that, that feeling as it, if you bury it, then it's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to fester. Mm -hmm. And so just the act of being able to put it out in the airwaves and say, Hey, this is, this is something I'm struggling with right now. It begins to, you know, rob the power from that feeling, you know? Yeah. We, we cannot change what we will not name. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, insight into our pain is only half the battle, but it is an important piece yeah. because if we're going to speak truth, that's going to make any kind of transformative difference in our lives. It has to be a truth that speaks directly to that feeling. Mm. And so if I'm feeling powerless or helpless and somebody says, you're so loved, well, yes, that's true. And mm. yes, that feels really good, but it's not killing that yeah. powerless and helpless feeling. It's not speaking straight to that. And so getting really specific about our wounds, yeah. whether or not they make sense, whether or not they're understood by someone else, um, you know, our wounds either about our safety or our sense of significance and identity, specificity around that is crucial to the healing process. Mm. Wow. Wow. I love that you articulated both of those things, safety and mm -hmm. significance, because those are two very intrinsic, deep level human needs, you know, yes. as, as, as you like say those, I'm like, Oh, wow. Yeah. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> that speaks to probably everyone's heart that at any moment you're wanting and desiring whether it's in a relationship or in a setting or whatever, you know, in a context that you're, you want to feel safety, you want to feel significance. 
One thing we say a lot at Nothing Is Wasted is pain is the common denominator of life. It's something that brings us all together. Unfortunately, what is not as common is actually getting the help we need for what we're going through. Beyond the encouragement, hope, and resources that we provide as a ministry, we believe there is a need for everyone to have a good counselor. I've been in counseling for years, as have most of our team, so we personally know the benefits of this tool in our lives. This is why we've partnered with an incredible online worldwide organization called Faithful Counseling, who provides virtual counseling with licensed therapists who are all certified by their own state's board. If you're seeking traditional mental health counseling, but would prefer hearing from a Christian perspective, Faithful Counseling may be a great option for you. Once you're matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, you can connect with them anytime via your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or even the convenience of text messaging. Faithful Counseling is not a crisis line, but it can be an incredible resource in your healing journey. It only costs $65 a week and financial aid is available to those who qualify, which you can apply for during the sign-up process. To learn more, go to faithfulcounseling.com slash nothing is wasted. If you sign up through that link only, you will receive 10% off of your first month of counseling just for being a part of the Nothing is Wasted family. Again, that's faithfulcounseling.com slash nothing is wasted. And now back to our interview. You talk quite a bit about this idea of safety and this is and mm-hmm. in, in creating being a safe space for each other, particularly in marriage, you know, as you're, as a marriage mm-hmm. and family, creating a culture and environment of safety for the other person. Um, and, and this has been a journey for me because mm-hmm. in, in both my marriages with my, with my late wife and with my wife mm-hmm. now, for some reason, as I don't know if it's a man thing, like dude, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a, if you're familiar with the Enneagram and Enneagram typing uh-huh. thing for me, you know, I'm a three, but I always want okay. to, I always want to feel like I've got things together, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but then when I, when I don't have it together, when I, when, when I, when I mess up or I fail or I, you know, um, I'll feel shame about that. Like I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to, you know, uh, whatever achieve or perform or, mm-hmm. you know, in the way that I needed to. And so, um, there's this covering that happens for me. I've seen in our, in my relationship, sorry, I'm just getting free therapy from you right now. This covering that happens for me where I try to put on, and when I can't put on that kind of perfection, I've got it all together. Then I, then I get buried in shame. And I'm just now learning that one of the best safe, the, one of the best ways for me to create a safe environment for my wife is to admit that I don't have it all together. Whereas mm-hmm. prior, right, I, I would think, oh, in order for me to create safety in this, I've got to have it all together or I've got to appear that I have it all together so there's not insecurity that's sewed into this relationship or, you know, it doesn't create anxiety for her. So I've got to, and yet it's it's so crazy. Both my late wife, Amanda, and my wife, Christy, they have they both had communicated to me at some point, I actually feel a lot more safe when you get really vulnerable and express mm-hmm. your weakness. Yeah. Can you, yeah. can you unpack for us this concept of safety? Why is that such a significant thing? Why was that such a cathartic thing for me and for us and for her when I begin mm-hmm. to realize, wait, this is, I've got to get vulnerable here. 
Yeah. Um, in your, in your particularly, in your particular example, which I can relate to, cause you and I are pretty similar, I think, <laughs> um, that anything we do, so there's four, and this too is based on restoration therapy. There's four main ways that people tend to react to their pain. Mm. Um, These are the pain cycles you were referring to earlier. Yes. Oh, I love this. So whatever, okay. whatever that wound is, whether it's safety related or whether it's identity related, which are the two directions that pain can come from, mm. we tend to react in blame, shame, control or escape. And for you and I, that performance, that perfectionism, that hiding of our weakness would fall under that control category, Mm. um, which is a sneaky one because our culture really celebrates a lot of the behaviors that fall under that control category, but they are no more relationally healthy or helpful than all the others. Mm. (laughs) They're all equally relationally destructive. Um, and so the, the lie that our brain is telling us when we're, whether that for you and I, that not good enough feeling might get hit, we go into this performance mode or I'm just going to perfect and please and have it all together. Yeah. Um, the lie is this will be the thing. You know, there's a neural pathway in your brain when that not good enough feeling gets hit, that shield comes out. Um, that mm. this will be the thing that helps makes you feel good enough again and connects you with other people. Well, Mm. it sounds like you've gotten similar feedback that I've gotten, (laughs) (laughs) which is I thought everybody was so grateful for my stellar performance (laughs) and my perfectionism. Um, And what I've, what I've learned over time is that the amount of grace that people in my life see me giving myself it's the same amount of grace they imagine that I'm giving them. Mm. And when I am holding myself to this perfectionism standard, wow. they feel like, oh my gosh, I, there's no room for me to screw up here. There, wow. I've got to be perfect. And it's a barrier to meaning and connection because everything we do to react, yep. to cope with our pain is a barrier to meaning and connection. And so... I'm not surprised at all that, you know, the, the, when you're able to speak truth to yourself about you may, even if you made a mistake, there's a huge difference between making a mistake and being a mistake. Right. And, and when you and I are able to say that to ourselves, that our, our value is based on who we are and not what we do, then we can be vulnerable. We can mm. show our weaknesses and that actually lets people in and allows people to connect with us in a totally different way. Wow. Um, and other people feel safe to show their weaknesses yeah. um, because vulnerability tends to beget vulnerability. Um, and so there's connection, there's safety. Mm. So that that I don't know if that answered your yeah. question. But. No, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> it brings a lot of clarity and understanding to why it is that that, that experience with, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about two very specific experiences in both of my marriages mm. of going, having this aha moment, which you would think I would have learned the, the <laughs> first time around in a lot of ways. Right. But it's, you know, new marriage, new person, new yep. complexities there. And so it's like, wow, yes, that's why there was breakthrough mm. here. 
in this moment as I begin to just let down my guard and get vulnerable. Can can you speak to some maybe experiences that as you guys are on this journey um, and as you're kind of working through this infertility, some, some times where you guys had some big breakthroughs relationally, you and your husband? Yeah, I think understanding, um, you know, my, my husband has gone through some similar training that I have um, more unofficially, like we've done more small group psychoeducational yeah. stuff together that happens to use this same model of therapy that I use. And so he's familiar with the language. And I think dusting off our pain cycles and saying, okay, this event that we are both going through, we're going through the same storm, but we're in different boats. And just understanding for me to be able to have compassion on the way he's experiencing it and for him to be able to have compassion on the way I'm experiencing it, it's not different or wrong. It's just, or it's not wrong. It's just right. different. And right. and so also then what's going to feel good to him or what's going to be most helpful for him might look different than it looks for me. And to have compassion on that and be okay with that yeah. and not see it as an assault on my pain. Um, and understanding that when he does react to his pain in a way that's not helpful for me to be able to see it as a symptom of his pain instead of a comment on my value um, and, and sense of safety to be able to regulate our own pain and then connect right. with each other right. has been huge. Um, I think I am still very much in touch with my mentor who actually started this model of therapy. Um, and he's a great personal friend and mentor as well. And so there was one moment last December, no, now two, not this past December, but mm. 2018. Yeah. Um, and it was a low point. I was leading a marriage intensive in Georgia. Um, and I was going to get a call from our fertility doctor that basically shared whether or not we could proceed or not, like whether we would have what we needed to proceed. And it was after three miscarriages, desperately trying to get pregnant with my son, Charlie. And it was day two of a four day marriage intensive. I'm working with five couples in group therapy. So it's very emotionally yeah. draining right. as it is. Right. And I get this call at lunch that we don't have what we need. Ugh. And you know, it's financially draining. It's emotionally draining. Yeah. It's, you know, after all these multiple losses, it was just one of the, it wasn't technically a miscarriage, but I have to tell you pain level wise, oh, yeah, I experienced absolutely. it the same. Right. Um, and I was just at the end of my rope and it happened. So I called my mentor right away and I was just crying on the phone with him. And, um, it happened to be the week that it was December. So it was the advent and it was happened to be the week that the hope candle was lit. Mm. Um, and he was telling me about a conversation he had had with his wife in response to the lighting of the hope candle. And he said, um, you know, we may not be grateful for the circumstances. Um, but what he, the main point of what he said was hope only gets deployed 
in times of pain and struggle. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> okay, that seem counterintuitive, I'm, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. I thought I am not, I'm certainly not grateful for the struggle. Yeah. And I don't think God asks us to be, Paul is very clear. We can be thankful in struggle, right. not for it. But goodness, am I grateful to be a woman who knows hope. Yeah. And to have that experience through a story I would have never been brave enough to choose. And mm. I, like, I'm now it's my turn. I don't want to project onto you, but I know you've walked your own story yeah. of pain. I would have never been brave enough to write that story for myself. Right. Um, and, but I am grateful to be a person and, and this is where Jimmy comes in. I shared it with him and, and he agreed. We are grateful to be a couple that knows hope and knows Jesus as a safe investment for our hope. Mm, yeah, that's there. There it is right there. I was just about to ask you because, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're not familiar with the verse that says, right, suffering produces perseverance, per perseverance, mm -hmm. character and character, hope and hope does not disappoint. Right. They're, they're not familiar with that. They would hear, wait, how is hope deployed mm -hmm. through suffering through pain. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that, Nicole? How mm -hmm. would you, how would you explain that? Because I think on the, on the other side of where you are, you can give explanation to it, but oftentimes, especially if you don't have an understanding of what you just said, the anchor for our soul, Jesus, right? You're going, wait, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> Hope is something right. that you're trying, you're like hoping that this suffering is going to end and that something good is going mm -hmm. to come in. And when that hope is deferred, Scripture mm -hmm. says it makes the heart sick, right? You mm -hmm. you experience this disappointing phone call. How yeah. in the world did that lead to hope? Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think um, I have such a complicated relationship with hope and it's changed <laughs> and evolved over time. Yeah. Um, there's been a couple key scriptures for me that I almost like a rock climber, I kind of mm. find a, a foothold on. Yeah. One is in Lamentations, and I'm not going to get the wording or the, I think it's Lamentations 321, um, but somewhere around there where um, the author says, you know, he's talking about all this, he's lamenting, he's right, talking about right, all his right. pain and all his, you know, life experience that is not what he would have chosen for himself. And then he says, but this I call to mind. Mm. And the the chapter shifts into hmm. this really hopeful monologue. And um, that gives me so much comfort because I used to think of, oh, hope is on the far side of a dream realized, mm. a goal achieved, yeah, you know, some right. version of getting what we want. And no, he's saying, but this I call to mind. I remember God. I yeah. remember his faithfulness to me. Mm. I remember that he's more interested in my own good than I am. And I still have days where I wonder if God and I are ever going to agree on what's good. <laughs> um, I still have those days and I still wish that God would be the power source to my own dreams and my yeah. own agenda. And sometimes there is overlap. Um, but for me to just remember that prayer doesn't always lead us and hope doesn't always lead us to a different answer, 
but it always leads us to the person and presence of Jesus. Yeah. And that is always a safe investment for our hope. Um, the other scripture that comes to mind is, is another passage that Paul talks about where he begged God to remove the thorn mm. in his flesh three times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the answer was no. And, and essentially he says, this, you know, I'm not thankful for it. It still hurts. I still would like it to be removed. Um, and all of us can think of a situation in our lives or certainly a season where we have felt that way. Yeah. Like, God, can you just take this away? Or can you just give me that dream I've been longing for? Yeah. And he says, you know what? But this is the thing that keeps me tethered to the hope of Christ. Mm. And... I still grieve the five babies. I still, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and share something I haven't shared. Mm. I'm actually pregnant right now. Mm. Um, and we're out of the real danger zone. Um, but I have been terrified. (laughs) Um, it never goes away. Like the, the emotion of looking at a screen and wondering if I'm going to see a heartbeat, um, never goes away and it intensifies because Mm. there's been so much trauma around that experience. And yet (laughs) while I wouldn't have written it, had God given me the pen it is the story that has kept me tethered mm. to the hope of Christ. Yeah. And I'm not sure I'd be standing saying that to you. And I'm not sure we'd be having this conversation. I'm not even sure there'd be a book, but the, the real, the, the real victory I think is just the transformation. I have yeah. not so much the product of the book, but the transformation I've experienced in my own life. Yeah because of putting my hope in Christ. Wow. First of all, thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. And, of um, course. I hope it's encouraging to someone. Is, yeah. And we're going to pray over <laughs> your baby and your body before we finish this conversation. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. Um, but I just, I love what you said right there because I think that's the key to true hope. You know, I think mm-hmm. there's so many things in this world that we tend to by default, put our hope in mm-hmm. and high, you know, fast paced, high charging achievers like you and me. And so many people who are listening to this, we can tend to think that this life, uh, the substance of this life is in what we can produce and what we can attain mm-hmm. and what we can, and, and, and so much of the motivation is altruistic. It's God, I'm, I'm building your kingdom. I'm trying to help people. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, you know, and yet when we place our hope in those things, it, it always leaves us disappointed. Yeah. As good as those things are, right? As good as those yeah. gifts are that you were referring to. Right. Putting our hope in those things will leave us feeling it'll fall flat. But the true, yeah. only fully sustaining and fully fulfilling hope is in Christ. Mm-hmm. His Amen. work in us is the transforming. I love what you said right there because I feel the same way. You know, I um for for a long time I wanted to write a book for a long mm-hmm. long time, right? And of course, after our tragedy, it's the book I never wanted to write and think I would ever, right. you know. 
But I think the true, what you just said, the true uh, victory mm-hmm. that has happened has been transformation, regardless mm-hmm. if anybody reads the book that you write or the book that I write or whatever, the, the stuff that comes out of it that helps. Other, that's just icing on the cake. Right. That we get to help right. other people in it. The real true essence of this whole thing is what God's done in us. Amen. And it's so, um, that's hope, you know? Yeah. No, and I think we can only receive God's grace to the extent we know we need it. And that's another thing my story has done is is put me in touch with my need for Christ. Mm. Apart from apart from my performance and my capabilities, um, you know, understanding my need for Christ has allowed me to receive more of his grace and his finished work on the cross. And that's where transformation happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, without his, without his grace, and without drawing near to him, mm. there is no transformation. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think any of us are going to uh, have the luxury of going through this life without, you know. And I hate this isn't really good news, but without walking through something that makes us realize one way or the other, we need Jesus. I think that's right. We need, it's, it's just part of the fallen nature of who we mm-hmm. are and of this world where mm-hmm. we go, man, I am desperately in need of, I had a mentor tell me one time, there's going to be a moment where you walk through where you are desperate for Jesus. Mm. You may not feel it right now. And he said, while you're not in that space, you need to learn the discipline of dependence. Mm. because as you grow disciplined in dependence on Jesus, it will be muscle memory when you fall into a situation where you're absolutely desperate for him. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. so well said. So well said. Do, do you have time to talk a little bit about these pain cycles before we finish this conversation? Sure. Cause I really am fascinated. I've never heard this. <laughs> I know it's a, therapy that you guys do, but I mean, you talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about the four different ways that pain manifests itself or that we process or view pain, blame, shame, Mm -hmm. control, escape. But when you call them cycles, that makes me think that maybe there's some more elements to each one of those. Maybe I don't, I don't, yeah. Educate me on this a little bit, because maybe this will help each of our listeners to start (laughs) putting themselves in buckets. And you know, what I think it also does is helps us have empathy for each other in relationships as we, as we witness our spouse Mm -hmm. or our friends go through pain and see some of these characteristics manifest themselves and go, Oh no, that's just, that's part of their pain cycle. You know, now I can walk with them in this. No, it's a really helpful framework. Um, and it's, it's one of the most freeing, even though it's not, it's only the first part of the therapeutic process, but particularly when I'm working with a couple, I think it's one of the most freeing, um, steps in the process mm. is because they finally can see it out on paper, <laughs> what's happening in their relationship and that it's not really about what it's about. Um, yeah. it's, it's about this pain cycle. And so I will do my best. Um, I'm going to speak to it individually. Um, and I'll do my best to talk about it in a way that people can really picture the cycle part okay. of it. Um, so like I mentioned, we all have a story. Um, and for some of us, that was a story where we received a lot of really wonderful 
and truth-filled messages about our identity, who we are, and our sense of safety. Um, And some of us experienced either a violation of love, which tells us who we are, um, and therefore have pain around our identity, um, you know, feelings such as not good enough or worthless or not can't measure up to expectations or inadequate. Um, and then some of us have a story where we received a painful or communic or confusing message about whether or not we were safe Mm. and maybe left us with feelings of powerless or helpless or, um, unable to control. Um, and those, um, usually we, we feel every time we encounter a painful situation. So those kind of form our story kind of forms those wounds. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, anytime we confront a painful situation, I'm 90% of the time, it's those same three or four feelings we Mm -hmm. feel every time, um, because of where we have scars from previous circumstances. So you and I could go through the exact same situation and I might feel not good enough and you might Mm. feel powerless just based on the stories that we brought to that circumstance. Another analogy I often give is if I have a broken arm and you have a broken leg and we both fall, I'm going to feel it in my arm and you're going to feel it in your leg because that's where our previous injuries are. Um, In turn, we have ways that we have learned to protect ourselves from that pain that are totally understandable. I've never listened to someone's story and not understood why Mm. they protect themselves the way they do. They're totally understandable, but they are not healthy or helpful long-term. Yeah. Which can can we pause right there? And I love what you said right there about you've never listened to someone's story and Mm -hmm. not understood why they protect themselves. I think that's huge. That's so key to give your, to give other people the space to hear their story and seek to understand rather than just reacting based on how you're witnessing them react. Right. Because once we hear each other's story, we begin to understand. Yes. And the same would be true for the feelings. I've never listened to someone's story and not understood the wounds that they carry in their current life, um, the, the feelings they carry about themselves and their situation. Um, and so those shields are protective mechanisms. That's where the blame, shame, control, escape comes in. Um, for more detail on that blame, you know, is getting really angry, raging can be withdrawing to punish someone like the silent Mm. treatment. Um, Shame uh, is often talked about as a feeling, but we talk about it as something we do because we enter into agreement with that message as kind of an attacking message on ourselves. Eeyore is the poster child for Mm. for shame. Like (laughs) I can receive no affirmation. I only hear criticism. Um, I'm going to reject everything good said about me and I'm going to wallow in the bad things Mm. about me. Um, and just giving ourselves really shaming messages. And then control, we talked about a little bit, that's performing, uh, micromanaging, um, taking over a situation, 
uh, list makers are often controllers, yeah, <laughs> um, <right. laughs> you know, <laughs> performing, um, yeah, that, that's that one. And then escape, um, is anything we do to numb. Mm. So it, it can have a lot of faces, uh, sleeping too much, drinking too much, Netflixing too much, uh, literally leaving when mm. things get hard. Um, anything that kind of takes us away for a little bit. Um, and then of course we wake up to the problem and we feel worse. Um, so you have on the, this is like a triangle you have on the top point of the triangle, the three or four feelings that you feel most often either about who you are or whether or not you're safe. Then you have on that second point of the triangle, things that you do to try to protect yourself. Mm. Um, and then the third point of the triangle is sort of others reactions (laughs) because the unfortunate thing about those shields the blame shame control escape is they really scramble the message Mm. um and other people tend to they they hurt other people they tend to um they are not helpful to our relationships and um have a pretty good chance of hitting someone else's pain and triggering their own reaction when we are engaging in our pain cycle. And so when we're interacting with someone and they in turn react, it usually tracks right back to our pain that is at the top of the triangle. And so, um, but also even without the interaction of somebody else, you know, I'm sure you can speak to this too. When I'm performing out of that place of trying to earn my value and not feeling good enough, I'm trying to perform my way out of it. If I achieve what I want to and I'm on that pedestal, I'm terrified of slipping off. Yep. Um, and it's not fulfilling for right. very long. Because um, there's or, always something else that you right. need to go and achieve in order to get that feeling of exactly. significance, right? Right. It's a total mirage. You think Mm -hmm. you're crossing a finish line and you're the finish line just gets moved. Um, or if I don't achieve what I want to, I've now put my value on this roller coaster. Mm. Um, and I have to work. I feel like a failure and even worse about who I am. And I have to work that much harder to earn it back. And so nothing we do out of our pain is a solution to that pain. Hmm. That I, that, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know why I've never heard this before. Like as many conversations <laughs> I've had about pain, this framework is so helpful. It's and, a really helpful framework. I can't take credit for it, but it has been life changing for me and, and my clients as yeah. well. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I want to encourage the the listener to, um, make sure that you go and, and read Nicole's book. Uh, it's called from lost to found giving up what you think you want for what you, for what will set you free. And, um, and, and Nicole, I, we want to spend some time praying for you, um, Thank you. as a whole community. So if, if you're listening to this, we're going to pray for Nicole. We're going to pray for mm. this baby. And, uh, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're, if you're in the car, don't take your hands off the steering wheel, but if you're anywhere <laughs> else, yeah, if you're anywhere else, maybe if you feel comfortable, just, you know, as a gesture to say that you're agreeing with this prayer and you're reaching out toward Nicole uh, in Connecticut, just put your hand out. I just want to pray. So Jesus, we just, um, 
We just ask you right now that you would um, put your hand on Nicole's body and on this precious baby. And I know that there's so much uh, fear and anxiety and trepidation that can um, be accompanying this entire experience. And it should be an experience full of joy, full of uh, hope, full of excitement, full of anticipation. And so I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, that you would, first of all, send your... um, uh, a legion of angels to guard the health and the safety of this baby, that this baby would be carried to full term, that this baby would have a, a beautiful, wonderful, healthy birth, uh, would be mm-hmm. gr- would be raised and, and would grow up to be a world changer for you, and that you would take all of the fear and anxiety that um, that's surrounding the situation that Nicole is feeling right now, that you would swap that out for joy, for hope, for excitement, for anticipation, that there would be a supernatural peace that is covering this family. And Lord, we're just so mm-hmm. grateful for their story. We're grateful for um, the redemption that we're seeing played out. And we're grateful for Nicole's insight and vulnerability and for how much it ministered to us. And I just believe that this baby is going to be, um, uh, to to the nth degree, is going to be a continuing, um, uh, the, 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 message this baby is going to carry is going to be mm. a continuing message of hope and healing. And, um, and, and so Jesus, we just ask that you would, uh, do something so special and powerful in this family and that you would, um, mm. heal these wounds by bringing this new life into the world. And we just mm. thank you. We thank you that we can trust you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, goodness. Thank you so much. Mm. What a gift. Well, thank you. Thank you for being so <laughs> transparent with us and vulnerable with us. And this has Absolutely. just been, a, I, this has been a delightful conversation there. I just, I'm so grateful that you came on to share with us and I'm so grateful that our listeners have gotten to glean from you. And again, you need to go pick up Nicole's book as you're listening to this. Nicole, where else can we follow what you're doing? And if, if listeners want to get connected to you. Absolutely. I love connecting with listeners and readers. Um, so my website is a great place to connect with me. Um, just Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, Z as in zebra, A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And I'm just at Nicole Zazowski on Instagram as well. Um, and you can buy the book anywhere you like to buy books. Certainly Amazon, your favorite local bookstore can order it for you. If they don't carry it. Um, but anywhere you like to buy books, it's there. It's awesome. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes and on the podcast page. And Nicole, thank you so awesome. much for spending time with us. We really do appreciate it. One of my favorite conversations. Thanks for having me. I love that conversation. Davey that you had with Nicole. And I have to say, I loved, especially that moment when you stopped and prayed for her and her Mm. pregnancy. I thought that was so meaningful, even Mm. as a listener to be a part of that. And um, here's something that I want to tell listeners because we've actually kept in touch with her and recently checked in to see how her pregnancy is going. And she says this, 
Baby girl is doing great. Yes. Woo! Praise she the Lord. She has grown strong and healthy. And by God's grace, we made it to full term. She is teaching me so much, including wow. how to have the courage to celebrate. She is due in February. Which is so that's right around like the corner. Next week. Yeah. Crazy. So praise God. That's so how cool awesome. is that? That's so the awesome. The Lord is so kind. Well, we're just, you know, it's really cool that we can kind of all circle up and essentially join hands as a Nothing is Wasted community Love and pray it. over other people in our Nothing is Wasted community. The power of prayer when it comes to especially anything anything that you're going through it it really just provides a hammock of grace underneath you and so mm. if you ever feel prompted to pray for somebody just pray for them that might be yeah, one of the best things it. you can do to minister to somebody don't try to solve their problems or give them mm. some kind of you know pat answer or verse even like just pray for them and i think so good. I think that really just ministers to them in, in big ways. Uh, we're going to continue our, our marriage series. Uh, we've got a couple more episodes in that. And so uh, we want to make sure that we thank Sleeping at Last, whose music has been very beneficial to my marriage personally. Oh. I'm telling you, when Christy and I, we, when, when we like just want to settle down on the couch and just like chat, yeah. You're getting deep conversation. We put on Sleeping at Last. I love it. Actually, my sister's getting married in April. And she's walking down the aisle to one of his songs. Get out of so here. It's there you go. So make sure if you want your marriage to be enriched, make sure you check out <laughs> Sleeping at Last. Thanks right. for providing all the music. You can check them out anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. And we'd love if you can rate and review uh, this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. It encourages us and it helps this podcast to climb the chart so that more people can be exposed to these incredible, incredible stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davey Blackburn, and at Obsamp. And again, come back next week. We're going to continue our marriage series, this time with Hillary and Joe Barry. So let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of your conversation with them. We had driven um, from Ohio out to New Jersey to spend Christmas with my daughters who live in the East Coast at the time. And so I'm all Christmassy. And Joe said something about a text message he had received in the car that on our way out. And that first night, I think, looking back, probably God Mm. put the thought in my head to say, check that out. Mm. And when I did, I was in shock. Uh, Joe, at the time, when I confronted him with that, admitted that he was having an emotional affair with this woman. 